So when you, um, you know, started popping in those VHC tape or VHR tapes, VHS, VHS tapes. <laughs> so when you were popping in on those VH, VH, VHS, VHS, wow, my dyslexia is extra today. Um, Betamax. You're not that young, Lou. You know VHS. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. It's a terrific privilege to be able to introduce the next man and the next band that are arriving. Because I think perhaps in all the history of jazz, there's never been, been anyone who has brought such excitement to music, such complete free-willing improvisation. All right, hey jazz babies. This is Lou, my pronouns are they, them. Hey, this is Chris, my pronouns are he, him. And we've got Elaine here. Yeah, we have hey, the Lane. pleasure of having the wonderful Lainey. How do you pronounce your last name? A Bucignani. Bucignani. <laughs> you do the hand, it all makes sense. Yeah. What are your Bucignani. pronouns, Lane? She, her. Yay, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. If you don't know Lainey, uh, Louis, can you give, can you give Lainey's back like um, elevator bio pitch? <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah. What <laughs> is it? Well, she's because this is what I think we do very badly on this podcast. <laughs> by the way, I think we don't give quality intros to our guests. Yeah, I kind of try to let them speak for themselves. Oh, so. all right. No, I'm. Let's see That's if funny. I can. Uh, well, Lane is one of like our dance parents of Seattle. She's like created the SCT swing dance, like dojo. And <laughs> you have to sleep for four weeks in the cold. <laughs> I feel no, Elaine is definitely one of like our current culture makers in Seattle, along with uh, her husband, Stefan, and they've been dancing for a while. And, uh, is definitely one of the people that Chris and I learned from on the SCT teams. And um, yeah, really excited to hear. You've been dancing forever. So I'm really excited to hear about like where your dance story started. Yeah. Where are you from? Um, I moved a lot as a kid, but I was born in Plano, Texas. And my mom was a dancer. She like danced Aww. in the church, like the liturgical dance and did ballet and Wait, then my godmother was a ballet dancer too and so ballet my first memory is them like fitting me with a ballet skirt and going to class when i was three literally your first memory yeah is ballet. <laughs> well that's where it starts wait what is liturgical dance um it's like a dance where you're acting out like religious stories biblical stories mm, okay 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 yeah yeah. Never seen that. So just like interpretive dance, the passion. Yeah, we have like the chocolate coins. You like lay them at the cross and you dance with your white skirt. And... <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a Southern thing, I think. <laughs> I think I did that too. I did body worship. We just called it body worship. That sounds <laughs> pagan. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds satanic. Unless it's bread. <laughs> okay. Wow, what's it like growing up in? Um, so you didn't grow up in Plano, Texas. You're just no. We moved like right away. Why are we um, moving all all over the place? My dad was a lawyer, and I think he was just trying to climb the ladder. But he's like a very specific type of lawyer. So to do that, he'd have to move states. So then we went to Tennessee, and he got like a better job there. And then, um, much to all of our dismay, he got an even better job in Central Illinois, in the middle of nowhere, yeah. at State Farm headquarters. So I spent most of my State life. State Farm Insurance. Yeah, State Farm Insurance. <laughs> wow. Where was State it? Farm. It, are you from Normal, Illinois? Yeah, Bloomington Normal. Normal. Oh, Bloomington Normal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is, is State Farm Jake? Jake from State. Yeah. Farm. Jake so. from State Farm. It's just like a regular guy with a red T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Like a good neighbor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Is that the logo? Is that the theme song? The yeah. Theme? Like a good, good neighbor, neighbor State, State Farm is there. there. <laughs> Bring me back. <laughs> back to the court. <laughs> How'd you get out of there? Um, well, typically, I, I don't, this might be insulting, but typically when you graduate from like high school or college, either you get married and have a kid or you move to the coast. Yes. <laughs> and I, I have the same the coast. experience. I also picked up and moved to the coast. Correct. Yeah. yeah. 
I got married and had kids. <laughs> I just don't talk about them. <laughs> it's okay. You do you. <laughs> so you picked up and moved. Where yeah. did you go? Um, I went to California first and then ended up in Seattle. I was dating someone who got an internship at Amazon. So we like rode a mo- motorcycle from <laughs> Illinois to, <laughs> to Seattle. <laughs> and then I set up shop. Started working at a ballroom dance studio. Wait, you rode a motorcycle from Illinois to Seattle? Illinois to Seattle. Yeah, we almost died a couple times. It was really stupid. What was the bike? I'm a motorcycle enthusiast. (laughs) I don't remember. It was was like a BMW and it was a fatty and I was on the back. Cool. Yeah. It's a long ride. Yeah, I I fell asleep on the back a couple times. (laughs) So you from 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 day one, you're like, I'm going to go dance. Uh, no. No. I was just kind of constantly moving around. Um, so it was hard for me to get settled into a career. Like remote work wasn't really a thing back then. And I had a degree in writing and that seemed boring. (laughs) (laughs) So I never ended up actually getting into a cubicle. I just found other things. Mm. And it worked out. I went on Craigslist and I saw an ad that said, no experience required. Become a ballroom dance instructor looking for actors and models. And I was like, this has got to be a scam. <laughs> yeah. So I called up the studio. Whoa. Was this Arthur Murray or something like that? Like what? It's like an Arthur Murray spinoff. Yeah. Actors yeah. and models. Yeah. So like, we just want you to be hot and like, have no ideas of your own. <laughs> wow. So I went in there and like got the job and you just watched VCR tapes in the broom closet of ballroom dancing. And they're like, variation A. And then they show. <laughs> was this in, it was this in Seattle or California? This was in Seattle and Redmond. The ballroom's closed now. Oh, okay. But I became like one of the top instructors really quickly because I was the only one who had danced before and it was only ballet you had done up to that point i'd done ballet and modern and martha graham and circus and oh yes circus oh my god i saw an old youtube video of you doing hula yeah (laughs) like hoop dance oh yeah the hoop hoop dance yeah you're sorry i didn't mean to (laughs) why did i say hula oh hula hoop it's a hula hoop it's a hula hoop Yeah. Uh, how'd you get started in hula? Or in the hula? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say luau. Luau. No, yeah. that's fair. I think we're getting yeah, racist over here. What's happening? So, <laughs> we don't call it hula. <laughs> so you're doing ballet. You're doing ballet. You're doing ballet. Is there a moment when you're like, I'm I'm doing contemporary now? Or is that just a natural transition for a lot of ballet Oh, I quit ballet like six times because of the rigidity of the art form. Mm-hmm. But my parents forced me to be in one activity. So I would go and like, play tennis or soccer or something and be like, this sucks. And I'd end up back in ballet. So it's not the other yeah, option. It's like the only dance. Yeah. Thing and you can find do. a ballet studio like anywhere you go. Yeah. Well, right? I had a Russian ballet teachers who, I don't know why they were in normal Illinois, but they came from Russia and they were very intense. So <sighs> I think I was trying to escape from the intensity of the environment, not the art form itself. Yeah. Is that the only place you've done ballet was with those like Russian ballet teachers and normal? Primarily with them. Um, I had to quit before I turned 18 um, because I couldn't stay on point. I'm hypermobile. Oh, yeah. And my foot was going to break on oh. if I stayed on point. Is that my arch is too high. The fulcrum point is like not safe. Well, mm. your hypermobility gives you like such an advantage at and first. At first, <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's an extremely complicated thing, but in a lot of your dancing, like you have such incredible, beautiful silhouettes, and some of it's mm. because of your hypermobility. Yeah. So, but it's also like what stopped you from dancing ballet? Like, yeah, I have yeah. to tell people to not copy my lines because I am like they'll break the exorcist, something. and like you shouldn't be able to make the shape I'm making. <laughs> Yeah. So I went into modern dance when they took me out of point shoes because mm. that's like the depth of your ballet career. Um, and I found this like Martha Graham instructor at the local university and I took from her. Is Martha Graham the Martha Stewart of contemporary dance? I don't know what mm. Martha Graham is. 
I don't know if I could equate the two Marthas. Like, they're definitely <laughs> both groundbreaking and mm-hmm. unexpectedly intense. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's where the comparison ends. Okay. Yeah, Martha Graham was, like, one of the original modern dancers, and she would tell a lot of, like, Greek myth stories through a very sharp movement that involved a lot of contraction, like pulling up of the abdomen. And her dancing really captured like this tortured experience. (laughs) And I love that. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm dancing like I'm a horror character. And that was captivating. (laughs) There's one, there's one Martha Graham piece where like, it's, I think it's called Cave of the Heart where she like, pulls her heart out from her own body and she's like driving around. I like that stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like stuff that I see on American Horror Story. Yeah. Visceral. That's cool. I I saw some of that on on So You Think You Can Dance. I'm like, that's always the stuff that I like the most. Yeah. Like um, music that just sounds like a creaking door opening and closing. Oh, yeah. Like I've I've danced to tracks like that many, (laughs) many as 6 a.m. in high school. Yeah. Okay, so when you were popping in those VHS tapes mm-hmm. and that ballroom and you were learning how to, to teach, you know, like, you know, ballroom stuff, is that your first experience with partner dance? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've done, um, like, ballet partnering where, like, you know, someone lifts right. you up, but I'd never done lead follow. So ballroom was an easy place to start because, honestly, there's, there wasn't a whole lot of lead follow happening mm. in that studio. Mm. It was mainly just executing figures um, which was easy for me to do and a lot of repetition so the patterns were in people's bodies where does lindy hop rear its uh, face into the situation so that's a fun story um i have been like into duke ellington and cab calloway and the nicholas brothers since junior high but i managed to be interested in all of that and like you know billy holiday like the whole jazz canon and not realize that Lindy Hop existed, which is wild to me in retrospect. Uh, I didn't realize Lindy Hop existed until my ballroom studio told me to research the history of the dances that we were teaching, like the rumba and the cha-cha and jive and all of that. Mm. And so I did, I did a deep dive and I was like, wait a second, this is pretty messed up. (laughs) Like These are all just highly appropriated dances from people of color that have been completely rebranded like it's the freaking Westminster dog show. It's just very British, all of ballroom. And so I was like, well, I can't in good conscience do this anymore now that I know the origin of the dances that you had me research. Mm -hmm. So then I went out to Century Ballroom and like all my ennui of like, what am I doing with my life? What year is this? Probably 2015. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, 2015. And I went out and I saw Lindy Hop. And I was like, this is extremely different. And then I just like, people could tell that I could dance. Like, you know, when someone walks in from another style. Yeah. Especially if you're learning to follow first, it's pretty easy to get picked yeah. up and just danced with. And then people, you know, men love explaining things. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I basically got everything for free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, then eventually uh, Ben White discovered me and was like, oh, okay. Like do my performance team uh, and like actually took me in. And I hired him for a couple of showcases at my ballroom as like a consultant. Oh, really? Oh, cool. On like our East Coast swing routines. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> so we had kind of like, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back going on mm-hmm. even back then. Mm-hmm. And then he like actually brought me into the fold, showed me the spirit moves. And I was like, all right, I'm done with ballroom. Oh, wow. Is that when you moved into Stomp House? Yeah. Yeah, around then, like, 2016. Is there lore around Stomp House? Like, to me, like, I want there to be more lore than there. I feel like there actually is. Okay, so the real Stomp House lore is that we always not only did not get our safety deposit back, but had to pay thousands of dollars extra every time we moved out of a house because we held so many dance parties. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> we just, like, destroyed places. Okay. Did we, so Stomp House so, was something that moved around. It was... Yeah, it was just a group of us who were... Um, the Stomp Off was the performance team that then yeah. ran, and, like, a group of us who were on the team all lived together because we were young dancers, didn't have much money, and we wanted to be able to dance in the house. 
So the living room was just a dance space and I'd be a piano. We'd be practicing every day. And oh, then wow. sometimes we'd have parties where like Casey McGill would come and play piano and we'd all dance. Um, so neighbors and landlords, not, not fans of us. Mm. <laughs> but we had a great time. Hated. Who, who lived there? Is you? Yeah. Did so for sure at certain John time? Jang lived there. <gasps> John Jang point. lived there. Yeah. And like the last iteration of Stomp House. Yeah. That was a really fancy house in Wallingford. So we called it Stompford Manor. <laughs> it's like a million dollar home that yeah. we also kind of destroyed. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, ben, Ariel, me and Stefan, Emily and Alex, who had a kid and live on the east side now. One and them. Derek Moffat, who moved to Sweden. I think he's now in Spain tap dancing. <gasps> but he like flew the coop and is dancing internationally. Nice. Yeah. Is that when you're starting? Because when we had Stefan's interview or pod episode, that's, I feel like this is around the time when you started um, like taking classes at SCT. Yeah. And so for the tango and like started oh, yeah. teaching pretty early. And everything happened really quickly because I yeah. come from this context of you just wash the VHS in the broom closet and then you go out and teach it. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, this isn't that hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just keep doing what I've always done. And like, I was not one to shy away from the con. Yeah. <laughs> the con. I worked in circus. Uh -huh. I read tarot cards. Yeah. Where people are like, another... who is this follow, like, coming in and like teaching all of a sudden out of nowhere? You swing it. Just yeah. another grift. Another yeah. day, another grift. <laughs> so I wasn't thinking that seriously. Like, you know, I would never have imagined myself being where I am now back then. Mm -hmm. um, how we started teaching was there's this amazing tango teacher at Salsa Con Todo named Sarah Rose. And I wanted to learn from her because Argentine tango is another thing I became really obsessed with. And I didn't have any money, like nothing to my name. So I was like, hey, like, can I do something for you in exchange for classes? So at first I was just doing like her sign-ins and registrations. And then Vasily was like, oh, like I heard you guys swing dance. Like, would you want to teach swing dancing classes? And like they're Latin dancers. They didn't know that I saw like <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know what they were looking at. I can make nice lines, right? Yeah, yeah. So we taught beginner lessons only for quite a while and exchanged for tango classes. And things just escalated from there. A lot because of Stefan, because he came with a lot deeper knowledge of swing. And then I kept getting progressively more into it and traveled and things ballooned to where they are now. Yeah, that was something that was really interesting that uh, Stefan mentioned was that like that's where like the transfer of knowledge happened was like you just started teaching and you got to like learn everything like so much extra <laughs> because you were teaching yeah. as you were learning it. And, and we were living together and yeah. both of our obsession was swing. So like 24 so seven sleep, live. Yeah. yeah. Practice, yeah. watching documentaries, breaking down old clips like. The hours we put in are much more than the years tell. Yeah. You made it like intent. You made like a really intentional choice mm -hmm. to invest in the local scene as opposed to a traveling scene, right? Like there was a point where that choice got made because you and Stefan were like traveling around, winning all this the trophies and stuff like that, and then you kind of stopped doing that and started just really investing here. Was that oh, like is that a pandemic? Is that just COVID, was that, you know? That's like, not true, actually. Oh, is yeah, that not that is that even sound. how it happened? No. So I don't want a real job and I never have. And dancing for me is something I love so much that it doesn't feel like a real job. And so dancing was also all I'd ever done since college. So I was like, all right, this is gonna be my profession. So from from day one, I would say I was hoping that I could continue to make dancing my career. I just didn't know it would be Lindy Hop because mm. I was just doing Lindy Hop as like a trade to learn tango. So I didn't know what direction I was going to go in. Um, but when we were traveling around and competing and like winning events and stuff, that was largely to promote the school. Mm. Cause like, I don't have dreams of like going out and like, you know, winning ILHC or whatever. We felt like it would help us prove our legitimacy, especially given like the few number of years that I've been dancing. Be like, yeah, maybe only two years, but look what I can do. Yeah. Um, and that definitely helped the brand of the school. Mm. But I mean, I'm not 
like well, I was teaching dance and Pilates for a living. It wasn't like I could just fly around to events all mm -hmm. the time and yeah. like never be home. Like when we went to events, we would fly back and then we'd teach like as soon as we landed then teach all week and then mm -hmm. like, you know, have subs for that one weekend that we're out and we're out basically to do marketing, to win a competition, to like try to grow the school. With teaching, I feel like comes the responsibility of being a community leader, community mm -hmm. presence. Um, and it feels like you, uh, I mean, y'all are pretty present, but it also feels like you're kind of pres like leading from behind a little bit, or it's kind of like yeah. in the background more than, um, other, other spaces, mm -hmm. um, compared to like, I don't know, like, um, yeah, I guess I can only think of, um, SCT, but yeah. So here's what's your the approach? Thing. What's your approach? <laughs> There's like a like, really intentional culture. Was that in, first of all, like, is that intentional? Like, did you want yeah. that? So pre-pandemic, there were a lot more swing schools and we were much more small potatoes. Mm. So we didn't really feel like community leaders. We were trying to fill a gap of like being able to teach advanced material in group classes in a way that actually works where people will level up. Uh, that was our whole mission. It was only after the pandemic that we became one of like the few like flagship schools in Seattle. And we've had to change how we think to be much more holistic. So we're not filling a gap anymore. Like we are one of the institutions. Mm. So that, that was a big shift. And we've done a lot of work to like flush out our program to make it more comprehensive instead of just a stopgap yeah. for like particular types of dancers. Mm -hmm. um, as far as not centering ourselves, that comes naturally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like public speaking, which mm -hmm. feels ironic because I'm on a podcast, but I'm also just sitting here with two people. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but you are that now, you know? Kind of. I you make, are a tent pole. We make Ben do all the emceeing, though. Well, you're still in front of at least 30 people teaching them how to dance, but you've been doing yeah. that forever. But I guess you don't count that as public speaking mm -hmm. at this I point. I guess maybe not the yeah. public speaking or like the spotlight or anything. I guess, I mean, you are uh, uh, have a hand in shaping what the scene looks like. Or dances, like, at the least. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What is that like? You care more about that than having yourself. Set. And what's your approach there? Yeah, so... Yeah, so... Like I said, we've had to flush it out more. So now we think of, like, we have four teams, and we have objectives for each of those levels to try to, like, develop holistic dancers for the scene who can go out and do whatever they want. Like teach, perform, be a top social dancer, whatever their goal is. So like level one is foundations. You got to just build the movement into your, into your body and understand the basics. And then level two is focused on advanced technique. So more connection. Once you've gotten the rhythms and the shapes in your body, now you can really connect and get creative and learn all of the classic movements of Lindy Hop all the way up through like, you know, quick stop and like the classic routines and everything you would need to know. Then level three is developing your artistic voice. So for people who want to go on from like, I can dance well now to I want to say something with my dancing that hasn't been said before. So that team is more about exposing people to like so far we've done swing adjacent styles, uh, going through the spirit moves clip by clip and and watching the different dancers and like finding what speaks to you, things like that. And then um, level four is not really level four. It's just a performance team that yeah, anyone from any level mm -hmm. can do, depending on who auditions. And that one is is really designed to give people the ability to like look really nice and have moves in their body that are so rote because they practice it over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And that can also help develop their style. And I kind of have a different purpose each quarter. Like yeah. I see a gap in the scene like this quarter. I'm like, all right, everybody's dancing pretty well, but they don't do any rhythm variations. So this quarter is a routine that's all rhythm variations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the next quarter I'm like, as soon as there's a Latin section, like everybody looks stiff as a board and confused. So, all right, it's mambo quarter. Like mm -hmm. we're going <laughs> to learn how to move our hips. Um, so that's more where we get to play and influence the scene very directly and like 
um, in real time. Mm. So there wasn't exactly maybe a moment where it's like, oh, we're the sh- we're it now, post Cove. It's kind of like a constant scramble. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. went from one to four teams within two years. So mm-hmm. the amount of times I've rewritten the curriculum, like I don't even want to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the reasons it's grown that fast is because it has a really wonderful, inclusive culture that we talk about this again on the, the Stefan episode where you are purposely creating like these cohorts yes. of, of dancers. And it's like where we really are getting like our dance generations and like really creating a community. And it's just... um it, that's a really cool thing that y'all have been able to do. The um, funny story, the origin of that though, yeah, is that we're both introverts and we don't want to have to hang out with every single group of students and go get <laughs> nachos with them for them so to stick around. Them how to do it on their, <laughs> their own. So we teach them how to be friends with each other and then we can just go home and like watch anime. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> but it turned, I mean, we've discussed since our original idea of like, let's just make them hang out with each other. Now we're like, ah, yes, intentional cohorts. <laughs> Got yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> well, something else, although maybe it's not that is intentional, but like uh, we talk about how um, instead of having everyone copy that like shape in the middle of the room, that I'm sure mm-hmm. is very much so what you're watching the room closet at the yeah. ballroom <laughs> of instead, um, you know, showing a, a shape in the middle of the room instead of having everybody copy it, having everyone discuss and figure out how to make the move happen together. That this is a way that like having people problem solve um, creates those cohorts, but it also seems to really center or at least bring the follows voice more to the table. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's intentional as well? That was a huge gap I saw in, you know, I'm not speaking necessarily about the Seattle scene, but just the worldwide scene. Um, you've started dancing since the era of just follow. Yeah. Just relax. <laughs> as if either of those things mean anything. Right. Um, so I was very intentional in developing, uh, some people call it a follow forward or a follow focused curriculum, but I just think of it as an equal curriculum where you're focusing on leading and following as equally difficult and equally relevant skills. Um, And I'm a primary follow, like I only lead casually. So I'm always thinking from that lens, even when I'm training leaders. How do you do that? Um, If someone was like a, Teaching a class, how would you recommend them teaching so with, to keep that in mind? I think you need to break down movements into fundamentals, like a jockey. The first thing you learn, step, pulse, step, pulse, finding the beat. So you have weight shifts and the quality of your weight shift. You have pulse and matching right away. The first, the first thing you're doing is matching in many different senses. You're matching tone, matching pulse, matching rhythm, matching weight shifts. So you can break even the most complicated thing down into elements like that. Like, all right, this is a rotational rock step. Like our our classic equation, right? Like (laughs) rotation Mm -hmm. plus linear equals turn down the line. Like Mm -hmm. all of that stuff comes from thinking about things from a follows perspective where you're not necessarily keeping track of move sequences, but you're focused on like refining mechanics so all possibilities are open and we got that idea from sarah teaching tango she's a master tango teacher who learned in buenos aires and she's a follow and she teaches by herself and so we were deeply inspired by her philosophy and curriculum well that's wild because isn't tango like not normally like that I mean, if you go way, way back, it's like men dancing with each other so they can go to the brothels because the women are like such good dancers that they're not going to dance with you for your shit, right? Okay. But no, I mean, it's a a living culture in in Argentina and the level of skill of follows and leads is absolutely insane. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Wow. I love hearing that it came from Tego and from that teacher. Yeah. And modern teaching styles in Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So she would teach like a whole month long series on a single concept 
rather than move sequences five, six, seven, eight through the Baleo. It'd be like, all right, we're going to, this whole month is on the quality of like a rebound and the spiral like in, in the connective tissue in your body. Cause she was also a body worker like I am. That's what inspired me to do Pilates too. So she's kind of my role model. Oh, yeah. very nice. Love mm-hmm. that. Do you have hopes for where the scene in Seattle can go or maybe seen the worldwide scene? See, yeah, are you trying to shape it at all? Or you, do you have hopes for the future? I, I think this, what we just talked about yes. is huge. Yes, I have hopes. Um, <laughs> I have many hopes. I have dreams. I have dreams. I want more people to see Lindy Hop as an art form and not just a social outlet. Yes, it's a social outlet, but I think that already exists and that's healthy and that's doing fine. My mission is to focus more on the artistic side of it. And I would love to see more dancers in Seattle, like really go down a rabbit hole of self-discovery and create their own movement and their own moves. Like, we don't want to see people doing our moves. We want to teach mechanics so that you can discover your own movement and say something. Like, I want to know what all my friends have to say. I don't want to hear them parrot me. That's not swing. That's not how the culture works. It's embarrassing if you copy someone else. Mm-hmm. Like, that's frowned upon mm-hmm. <laughs> in the original culture. Well, it sounds like um, uh, contests are like a big part of SCT at the culture there. Like we have one at the Fremont Stomps every month. And um, uh, is that kind of like what you're helping push with the contests? Yes. So contests are a driver of innovation and also a way to defend your turf and say something with your art. Um, And that's what they were at the Savoy. And that's what I want them to be at SCT. So like right now we're doing a little online strictly with some of our, our students and other community members. And the reason we're, we're focusing so much on contests is because like those students weren't at class today because they're spending hours practicing on their own, developing their own material and filming it and trying to one up each other. Mm. And I'm like, yes, don't come to class. Do that. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see that. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, So it's really exciting. It makes us feel like we've got peers who are talking to us and not just looking to us, which is a weird, uncomfy hierarchy. Yeah. <laughs> You're really pushing your students to outdo you and outdo everybody. Like you want everybody. I don't think you can call yourself a good teacher if you don't have a couple students who have outdone you. That's a pretty good point. Yeah. There is a, um, an opinion or like, uh, or I guess I hear this a lot, like people that don't want to do comps or like look at SAT and are doing too many comps and like those guys are too intense. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just here to have fun. I'm just here to dance. Um, and maybe yeah. miss, miss the point on comps. I don't really understand why that's a dichotomy. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, I think people, especially in like American culture, have this desire to label themselves and put themselves into buckets. Like I'm an IMFP and, and you know, XYZ and that's why I am the way I am and will never change. Mm. Um, and I feel like people think they need to put a label on themselves. Like I am a social dancer. I am, or that person's a contest dancer and they are different than me. And I just don't really get it. Um, I've been all of those things at different times. And I think people should just do whatever resonates with them at that moment. If you just want to go listen to live music and bars and dance there, like I fully support you. If you want to, come to SCT and like social dance to some live music. Great. If you don't feel like watching the contest, cause even just being around them makes you uncomfy, like stampedes next door, get a drink, mm-hmm. you know, there's no pressure to do things just cause they exist. Right. It's yeah. Just here. We, we try to offer a little bit of everything so that everyone has their moment to shine like we have regular social dance nights, we have jazz jams, so the musicians can have their moment and we can all dance to them and appreciate them. And then we have contest nights with an ever-changing rotation of contests so different people are featured and they can practice the things they want to practice. 
Another reason we have it is because we have a lot of dancers who travel and they like to do um, contests when they travel. And we want to provide them the opportunity to practice at home so they can go out and rep Seattle and and beat everyone else because they've practiced and they've trained harder. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Having contests once a month here really does take the pressure off. Like it's mm-hmm. just, you go to a dance weekend. It's like, oh, are you going to compete? Oh, it's like this. It's so much pressure with it. But then with just like regular contests here every month, mm-hmm. and then there's like, oh, there's one that you're going to be good at or whatever. Like the last mix and match that we had, I came and I competed in it. And I felt like pretty confident with who I was placed. I knew I wasn't going to final, but like, I also just like, didn't feel like I was way below everyone else. And it was mm-hmm. just like, a chance to just have fun and dance. And it was like the most low pressure I've ever competed in anything is because it just did not matter. It's like, just a regular thing. It just went, I it's just like thing. got, it was just oh. like a fun little thing. Oh, Chris and I got each other on the fast song too. It yeah. Did great. We did a great job. That was awesome. You were, it was a really good lead. Yeah. Like, and we danced in front of your dad. It was and his my dog. <laughs> elderly father and his service animal was there yeah. and people gave us space so that he could watch and, mm-hmm. He grew up during the swing era, so it was exciting that he got to come see that I'm like carrying that forward. So it was like, um, uh, it's nice because I wouldn't have had that experience at, you know, like a swing weekend. Yeah. That happens because it's regular. And when that happens, you get used to it. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I also really love in Seattle, like we are known for being loud, loudly supportive. Like, are we? We holler. It's all Caroline. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Caroline. Ninety percent Caroline. Karen on the legacy of Aaron and like there is a Levi, holler like Levi. just screaming juice at people. Yeah. Like yeah, there's a holler culture in Seattle, and it's really uplifting experience because we're like truly celebrating people mm. just for being themselves and like showing their art. It's weird when it's quiet, when I'm watching a prelim and it's quiet. But go, let me tell you, once yeah. you start traveling more, there are a lot of quiet cops and people are just tensely oh, watching you. Yeah, because you know they don't know the, each other. They don't have like the community necessarily yeah. to support That's true. it. You know what was the best? Lindy Bow was loud. See, Lindy Bow, like we got a Cascadia thing going on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know about Cascadia, right? Mm-hmm. No, but oh, that's like, like Vancouver. Oh yeah, Pacific Cascadia. Northwest. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like we're more like each other than we are like the rest of the country. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of like shared swing dance culture between mm-hmm. like Vancouver and here, Portland, and yeah, and Portland. a little bit, yeah, maybe, yeah, um, that same energy. Yeah, how are you feeling now? Like, how are you doing? Like, you were out for a while yeah i almost quit <laughs> yeah. oh, I got you got covid yeah <laughs> oh covid that wasn't even the beginning um well during the pandemic i i've always had autoimmune disorders like it runs in my family did that have to do with your hip surgery or is that different uh it's probably hypermobility but mostly ballet teachers slamming my leg against my head since i was a young kid oh, like, ripped the hip ligament Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty common in ballet dancers. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been sick my whole life. I just didn't really talk about it until I got diagnosed with the big one, um, which is an autoimmune connective tissue disease that's pretty dangerous. And that really changed my life. And I wasn't sure I would come back to dancing post-pandemic. I mean, none of us knew what was going to happen in general. Um, but I thought that I wouldn't be able to move like that again. Um, and I was kind of, we were roped back into it slowly. I think starting with Kyle and Bashal, we taught, <laughs> we taught this one beginner series at SCT and they're like, Oh, do you guys have like teams, like the other styles? And we're like, Oh, we used to, but I don't know. There's not enough people. And they like convinced us to do it. And they've been kind of pushing ever since for like higher oh and higher levels. So it's all funny. Michelle has been behind all of it. Uh, <laughs> the Seattle scene has a lot to owe those two people. Truly, <laughs> they, yeah. I think I think we wanted to do it, but we didn't know it. So like, just having someone there to ask us, we're like, okay, like, well, prompted if you it. Want. Yeah. Wait, how, so you were doing private lessons and at the end near we the end of COVID or something? Beginner series classes, okay. but there wasn't anywhere to progress to. Like that was it. It was a beginner series. Nowhere to go. Once a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a team. We had a team. It was team one. Like Tony and Allie and them. 
but it was too high level. For oh, it was too high level. So we had mm. one team. We had one series and one team. This is what I mean about it changes so much. I forget. Yeah, that you know. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, Michelle wanted at the beginning of the team so they could join us. Oh, and then okay. that's where like oh, team one sense. came, and then that's kind of how the dojo started. Then because it was like you were yeah. bringing in new people, and then they kept having places to advance to. Right. Yeah. Right. So what's it like, um, yeah, to have like a, what do you guys call it? Like hidden illness or like a... Invisible illness? Well, it used to be invisible. It's not so invisible anymore. (laughs) I feel like my celiac and Hashimoto's were invisible, but this new stuff is, you can see it on my skin. Mm -hmm. Um, But people still miss it. Yeah. 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 It's visible if you know what you're looking for. Mm. Uh, it, It was definitely tough at first. I had hives that I would get every time I would exercise and then they progressed to full-on anaphylaxis. So I was carrying around like life-saving EpiPens every time I danced and I could only get like close to the point of sweating and then I have to chill for a bit. Otherwise my throat would close. Mm. I think most people would quit in that scenario, but I'm kind of insane. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't want a normal job. I don't want a normal job. Yeah. Yeah. Life is boring. Just work out until your throat almost closes. It's fine. Right. Like just stare death in the face actively, not passively in the cubicle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actively in the field. Exactly. Like live life. (laughs) Um, If you don't know people with autoimmune diseases, we all have a dark sense of humor. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I am also in the autoimmune club. Yeah, so it's definitely a balance. Like there have been months where I've taught from a chair because I couldn't stand or whatever. Um, But then I'm able to get back on my feet every time. I think largely because I have so many weekly exercise commitments and they're social. So it helps me to work through the pain of whatever the flare up is and then get into a better space just by moving around. Yeah. I've... I don't know if there's any science behind this, but there is the, it, with, I have seriatic arthritis and that's like, there's a, a, like a term with that, that's motion is lotion. Yeah. I don't know if that's just a thing with autoimmune that if like you're moving your body or something like that, that it can like truly help. I, Cause there's like, yeah. there's pots too, which you also deal with. And that's something that's like, it's kind of the internet has a secret that you can exercise your way out of pots um, kind yeah. of a thing. And it's like, do you think that you just continuing to move is one of the reasons why you've like really pretty held it together considering how much crap you've had thrown at you? My doctors are constantly like, wait, you're still doing that? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <gonna> stop. <laughs> They're like, interesting. <laughs> Takes notes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think movement is a big part of what keeps me healthy. I know that if I stop being active, or in general, if people stop being active, the body's like, well, it appears that you would like to die. <laughs> like yeah. You have laid down and you have not gotten up. Um, I don't know the exact science behind that either. I don't think there's been a lot of research into like exercise for autoimmune diseases. Um, there's been a lot of research in general because it mainly affects women and they did not yeah. give a single shit until the 70s. I'm like, they don't care if we're having autoimmune problems. They're like, Lucas, like, let have- me show you to the asylum, <laughs> ma'am. <laughs> can I, do you want to interest you in a straitjacket? <laughs> yeah. No one cares about women's pain. No. It's yeah. not women's real. Life. No, it's all in your head. Yeah. This is hysteria. You're hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> that um, womb just crawling around in there causing all kinds of trouble all the way with your body <laughs> so you gotta put it down and burn it out yeah so having autoimmune disease is just living life in pure chaos mm, yeah. you go to like the top specialist and they're like here is a pill that does something that we don't understand that Seems to help another thing that we don't understand and we don't know why. Have a nice day. Why is, that seems to be the case with a lot of autoimmune stuff. Yeah, they just and don't also understand. autoimmune just seems like a big umbrella term for a lot of different shit. Yeah, it means your immune system attacks your healthy cells. Okay. Yeah. Jesus. And what's POTS? Postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Basically, you stand up and your blood doesn't. It stays in like the lower half of your body. 
and then your heart beats like two to three times as fast as normal to like try to get the blood to move up, mm-hmm. which is the tachycardia part, the high heart rate. Um, and then that causes a surge of adrenaline because your body's like, oh, we are in danger. There is no blood in your brain. So then you're like gritting your teeth and you're like, <laughs> feels like you're having a panic attack, but really you just need electrolytes and a little lie upside down, maybe some compression tights. I had a whole phase <laughs> where we'd be like, we want a Lindy Bout competitions and I'm in full on medical grade compression wear yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> up to my nipples. <laughs> is that from, ridiculous? <laughs> is that from autoimmune or is that just from COVID? Yeah, it's comorbid with a, a lot of autoimmune diseases, but for mm. me, it was triggered by COVID. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, long COVID is just autoimmune problems. A lot of long COVID is POTS. Yeah, it is. It's POTS and it's MCAS. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's just like what long COVID is. Interesting. Yeah. An ER nurse told me, he's like, you should ask, you should ask your rheumatologist about POTS. Like the doctor's going to tell you, you don't have that, but you need to ask. I was like, rheumatologists cover POTS? My rheumatologist is like a specialist Got in the it. 80s who the only works on Mondays and sees patients Oof. with my disease. So yeah, he does whatever for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Autoimmune diseases and being disabled. Like what does that bring to your dancing? How does that affect? Like talked a little bit with like your hope and mobility and that really affecting a lot of your dancing. How does mm-hmm. all of it holistically come together? It, it is a, affected me and my teaching in unexpected ways. At first, I thought everyone would see it as a detriment and I would have less value because here I am, a dance instructor that can't always dance. Um, But I found the opposite to be true. When I started being open about it, people were really grateful that I think, one, I had lifted this veil of glamour because people have this idea that dance instructors have glamorous lives when really we're like making minimum wage and like usually like have traumatic pasts. (laughs) So there was that. And then also I noticed a lot more people with disabilities started taking my classes and sticking around. Disability? Really? Did it it did something? Oh my God. Representation. Oh my God. I think you should lean into it. (laughs) I think you should get a cane. I had a cane. I had a cane at a point. Yeah. Dance instructor with a cane. It's like what I want. Yeah. It was fun because I had ballet instructors with a cane before and they're always like, butt in, butt in. Yeah. And now I'm like, butt out. Butt yeah, butt out. out, butt out. <laughs> <laughs> because when you, like, if you have a cane, when you go to show the demonstration, mm-hmm. like, I just visualize the cane being put aside. And it's like, oh, everybody, like, quiet. It's a miracle. to <laughs> <laughs> watch. Yeah, the miracle of dynamic disability, where sometimes mm-hmm. you can walk, sometimes, yeah. sometimes you can't. I feel like that's me. I, I got a cane for the first 30 minutes of me waking up because I can't, yeah. I can't nice. move without it. But yeah. I mean, by 10 o'clock at night, I can do Lindy hopping. Hey. You know? So, so the, it brought people in. Yeah. So the, the lesson I would want to share about yeah. like being open about my disability is that you need to let people take care of themselves in your classes. You should not dictate when someone can go to the bathroom, drink water, have a sit, take notes instead of participating or have a snack. Like what if there's a diabetic in the room and you're like, no food on the dance floor. <laughs> like, but Yeah. They're going to like pass out. Come yeah. On. Yeah. So there's just so much that you can't see in a room. So kind of stepping back and being like, this is not a respect issue. Like I need to just tell people when they enter my classroom, you have autonomy over your body take care of what you need to take care of. If you see me do some weird stuff, it's cause I'm dealing with some weird stuff. I might go take a pill in the corner. Like you do you. And that's been huge. It's definitely made a difference in people with disabilities staying around to dance. And that's been really valuable. So where do you see like, what's next for you? What next big stuff do you have on the horizon right now? Okay. So my big exciting thing is that I have started um, collaborating with and training with Jovan Miller. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, he's a big tap dance teacher and he's a camp tutor bug every year and performs with Chester Whitmore. Um, and he has decided he likes me. <laughs> so wait, does this mean that you're starting to tap dance? I'm starting to tap dance. Um, in such, it's such a privileged experience to be able to learn directly from him. And I'm really excited for like all of the things that we're dreaming up in the garage right now. That's exciting. And I think there'll be a lot to benefit. Where does Uh, he live? 
you lived in Spanaway, Washington. Yeah. Heard, yeah. And you want to get more involved with the swing scene now. Mm-hmm. So we're cooking up some workshops and Ooh, cool that's ideas. That's just really exciting. Yeah. He's a musician too. So, oh, and yeah. just brilliant individual yeah we've only had contact with him at well i i know that some of our people in our community take privates with him mm-hmm. but other than that only seen him at camp jitterbug and just known that he lives nearby so the fact that he's actually like coming and like going to be more part of the scene that's really exciting. yeah so he cool. used to be more a part of the scene back in the 90s and early 2000s but he's been teaching full-time at dance studios for a while Mm-hmm. And he recently quit that. And he's like, I want to, you know, pursue more rhythm tap with like adults and in the swing scene, getting back into Lindy Hop, which is like oh. one of his origins. So, yeah, it's going to be really exciting to have a real elder in the community, which is something we've been missing. Wow. Yeah. So stay in tune for some stuff. Stay tuned. Yeah. If you see me post stuff, workshops with Jovan Miller. If you take my classes, just know I'm taking his. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> so that's, that's not only are you bringing this elder into the into our community for everybody to learn from, that you're also like adding on a whole new dance style to your own dance career. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Is I've he, learned so much already. Is he going to teach at Stormy Weather? Yeah, he's going to be a big yeah. part of Stormy Weather. Ooh. Yeah, tell us more about Stormy Weather. Yeah, how did this... Uh, yeah, why? Why? Uh, Stormy weather, why? Stormy weather. Stormy weather, why? (laughs) It's a new New Year's Eve weekend event in Seattle. And it is the brainchild of um, first Jonathan Doyle, because he's been wanting to do a New Year's event in his new home. He lives here. And he has, you know, these musical dreams. He's going to have a Bechet night, a Sydney Bechet night, and all kinds you of other stuff I, I don't even know about yet. A Sydney Bechet night? Yeah. Whoa. That <laughs> yeah. sounds fantastic. So he'd been talking to Ben about this idea for a while, and then Ben's like, we should do a New Year's event. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't know. It sounds like a lot of work. And then we just decided, I don't know, I think we were just really happy one day. And feeling ambitious, we're like we're so good at <laughs> yeah, organizing. Yeah, a little no, too much sugar one day. Really <laughs> that almond croissant brought around the storm yeah. weather. It escalated. Gluten free, gluten free, gluten free. It escalated in Ben's absence too. He was in Greece for a month, and I was like tasked with finding a hotel. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to find a hotel that was within my budget, but like way bigger than all the other hotels. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, now we have to pay for the floor and the lights and everything. Uh, but it just became a big production by happenstance, kind of. Mm. And everybody's really excited about it. And there's a lot of momentum. And the the larger vision behind it, this first year is going to be just like, we're going to vibe in Seattle together. We're going to have amazing music, amazing instructors, and just celebrate being able to all be together for New Year's, which mm-hmm. we've never really done on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, but next year... Oh, there's already, it's like next year is already like in the I, works. I want to facilitate jazz history. So there's just, there's some elders who haven't met each other that need to meet each other. There's, look up UK jazz dance. There, there's a group of dancers in the UK who danced all through the bebop period. And mm. it's solo dancing. And it's kind of like the missing link between like the jazz that we know and like house dancing it's somewhere it lives in between you see some locking in there you see uh some whacking in there it's this big like melting pot of a lot of different influences kind of like bebop is like bebop has so many different references that are fast paced and the dance style mm-hmm. mirrors that uh, and it's absolutely incredible and i know there are some dancers in europe who have like alina sapolska who have studied with them but it hasn't really made its way to the u.s Stefan and I were fortunate enough to like get in contact with them and go dance at their club in London, which is still active. Um, and then one of the groups named this shiftless shuffle. And then I'll have to send you the other one. I don't remember right now, but they still dance every week and I want to fly them out and have them hang out with Jovan and like whoever else we can get out <laughs> and mm-hmm. just see what they come up with yeah. and what they want to teach us. Yeah. I'm also really interested in getting Monsell Durden, who's 
a historian of black dances and a professor down in LA who did the documentary, um, everything remains raw, which is in the Google drive. Yes. Yeah. That's the, I just one, just one moment of love for that Google drive. I love (laughs) all of the documentaries and stuff and like, uh, the spirit moves is on there and I just go back to that Google drive and watch spirit moves often. Yeah. Yes. It's a really good resource. One of my favorite parts about being on team at SCT is the access to all of the vintage goodie clips yes. that you have. If you're ever on teams at SCT, you get eternal access to all of the clips and yeah. documentaries because our goal is just to spread it. And even if you're not on a team, even if you're not in Seattle, hit me up. You want the spirit moves? You mm. should have it. Um, get Lainey for the links. Yeah. But I, I want to bring all of these people together who are like really deep in yeah. their pockets of jazz culture and, and just get them and in the same you room. put them in the same place, that's like what creates the culture. That's like yeah. very exciting. And then we just get to be there. Yeah. And witness it. Yeah. But year one, we're like vibing. Year one? Year like, one. What, well, yeah. What, we decided what we to run thinking? this event like six months before the event. Yeah. And so... This year is mainly focused on Jonathan Doyle's vision of mm-hmm. the music. Mm-hmm. And we are focused on having like a variety of dance styles. I want it to be a very like, not just solo dance, but dance focused event, not just a social event. Um, so we're going to have like some African dancing that's pretty high intensity. We're going to have tap from Jovan. Um, Rachel Pittner is going to be teaching solo. Our partner stuff is going to be a little more on the dynamic side. Like there'll be some tricks and air type of classes, mm-hmm. things like that. So like come in your gym clothes <laughs> type of classes. <laughs> what about the partying at night? How's the partying going to be? The partying goes till 4 a.m. And Doyle wants to play the late nights. So <gasps> most night? of it's going to be live music. Oh my God. It's yeah. So if you're not... From Seattle, there's only like four hours of sunlight at that time of year. Yeah. So it's just going to be like a jazz casino. Like Where no one just, will know the time. Yeah, because yeah. it's dark outside the whole time. It's anyways. a liminal space. You're just going <laughs> to sleep during the little bit of daylight. So there anyways. will be classes. There will be classes. There will be comps and there yes. will be lots of late night dancing. Yeah. And then some educational stuff and yes. some talks, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Well, give us all the deets on stormy weather. Like when does registration open? Uh, what are the dates? Yeah, so registration opens on August 16th. The event is December uh, 29th through January 1st, um, technically, because it ends at 4 a.m. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> People can stay at the hotel. People can stay at the hotel. Yeah. Or... Oh, yeah, let's mention how close the hotel is yeah, so the to ho- everything. The hotel is across the street from the airport, by which I mean literally across the street and a half block from the light rail, which goes directly into Seattle. Yeah, I'm going to mm-hmm. take the light rail down there from my apartment. And That's not only that, it's right next to a bunch of other hotels. So if you want to shop for a cheaper hotel, it's right there mm-hmm. and next to a 24 hour Denny's. Denny's. <gasps> That's right that there's a 24 I know that hour Denny's. Denny's there. I like that oh, Denny's, And it's 7-Eleven. So, like, we're good. Yeah, yeah, that's just, like, the best. It's a solid Denny's. I think I, I we live so close, but I, st- I think I still want to get a hotel. <laughs> I'm going to call that Denny's and be like, look, you might be getting a lot more just people than so you expected. You know. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> be some 4.30 a.m. dancers. Yeah. Coming through for Staff up Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it's going to be a holiday. Yeah, they might be closed New Year's Eve. Yeah. Nah, it's nah, Danny. I'm going to call him. Yeah. You open. better be open. You'll make a million dollars that <laughs> okay. night. Anything you'd like to say to anyone listening, like probably local Seattle dancers or um, friends? Yeah. Um, I'd like to say that you all need to find more joy in watching vintage clips. So this is Jazz Babies, right? Yeah. So, One of my pet peeves right now is that people are always telling me like, oh, that cool, you know, whoever move, like, oh, she's Stefanski's across from me. Like, yeah, that's the Stefan move. And I'm like, oh man, that's the George Lloyd move. You just don't know your history. Mm -hmm. You can't be attributing things. So the first person you see do it without having done your research. And really the way to get good 
is to go to the source and innovate from there. Like there, it's a gold mine and I've curated this gold mine for you in the Google Drive. So watch it. Don't get caught up in all of the modern comps. Like it's not nearly as interesting, I promise you. Watch the old stuff. They dance with their whole bodies, every part, the hips, the hands, the head, everything. Hey. I love that. Great. Go watch your vintage clips, kids. All right, jazz babies. That's it for today. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love you. I love you too. Bye. <laughs> 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 I'm really into like it. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I know my baby uh, is going to jump and shout. I know my baby's gonna jump and shout When the train rolls up and I come walking out